Feel the rhythm. The highlight of your week has arrived, Andrew. Yes, it has. Feel the rhyme. I don't know how to say your Instagram handle, so I'm not even going to try. Get on up. It's 11 o'clock on a Saturday. We all know what that means. That you're probably keeping me from watching a Liverpool game? Yep. It's podcast time. All right. Welcome back. It's a Saturday at Rust Belt Running. Uh, I'm Andrew Runs a lot with me, Thomas Costello, as always. Uh, Adam, can you guys believe it's been 20 episodes? I mean, ignoring all the extra stuff we've done. Right. Ignoring, yeah, the 10 different episodes we added on top of it. Yeah. Right. Well, I've only been on for seven, and it feels like 20. So, yeah. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, Thomas? I'll leave that up to you okay. and the listeners. <laughs> uh, Andrew, favorite moment from all this so far? Uh, probably uh, bringing on Thomas. I don't know why that's my – probably when we were discussing Aww. bringing on Thomas. Uh, I like that we kind of had the same idea at the same time. Yeah. And then uh, it, that coincides with regrets that I've had <laughs> over these first 20 episodes. Are you so, saying bringing on Thomas is a regret? It's a blessing and a curse. <sighs> well, you, okay. have any, you have any regrets about this, Adam? No, I mean, this was your brainchild, but I've enjoyed myself so far. All right. Got the kinks mostly ironed out. Mostly. I love this question. How many more do you think we have left in us? It's been 20 and we're already predicting the end. Thomas, are you looking for an exit strategy here? No, I'm simply asking you guys because you, you started it. I'm just a schmuck who came on 13 episodes in. I'm just asking you what you think. And then maybe we can look back at, on it at our 100th episode and be like, man, remember we thought 20 was too many? No, I, I feel good. I'm trying like, to create memories. We're, we're starting to diversify our, our interviewee package here, and I feel like we're just getting started. Yeah, I, I would say the one regret I have is taking a vacation and letting you guys do an entire Liverpool episode. <sighs> that was a tremendous episode. I did get to live tweet it, and I you thought my live, my live tweeting was on point. Mm. So mm. shut up, Thomas. <laughs> I think that was one of our best episodes yet. Yeah, we might yeah. do another one here soon. Yes. After we win the league, Thomas. Um, so yeah, welcome to episode 20 of Rust Belt Running. Uh, we've got ourselves a pretty good episode today. Uh, we have not one, but two special guests on at the same time. This is a breakthrough performance for us here. Uh, we're going to be talking about running for a cause, uh, charity running. Uh, to do that, we have Erica Gennaro and Heather McLeod. Erica and I actually went to the same small high school together and yet have almost no memory of each other from that time, which is really <laughs> weird. Um, you two, they've not only run for a cause, but you've done it on some of uh, Marathon's biggest stages. Uh, also in the show today, we have current events uh, surrounding an athlete who um, is rejecting the idea of taking drugs that are going to alter her performance, as well as a long-distance runner who is running with someone else's heart. Thomas is going to stump the hosts. That's confidential. We have no idea what's coming He's there. He's going to try. He's going to try. Try your hardest, Thomas. Um, but before we it. get to those, let's guys, let's just jump right into the interview with our special guests. Erica, you and Heather are training partners. You've run Boston, Berlin, and New York together. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Not only have you done that, you raise money in the process. So let's talk about how you got started running in the first place. You want to start? Yeah, sure. Um, so I was not in track in high school or college. I just kind of ran for um, keeping in shape. And then I moved to Boston about six years ago and really got into running 5Ks and drinking beer after, um, so that's really fun. And then at some point, I had a friend that was doing a marathon in Savannah, and I kind of said, am I allowed to swear in this? Fuck yes. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you're allowed to. Yeah, yeah. Andrew does it for us. Yeah, but you can take his role. I've heard him in the Eight. previous episodes. Yeah. <laughs> the ice has been broken. Um, so I just went for it. Um, went from pretty much 5K, 5 milers to a marathon without doing a half first. And I loved it I, right after that. That was fall of 2016. So ever since then, I've been um, running two a year. And Eric, how about you? Um, so I also never ran track in high school or college. And it wasn't until I was 
I think a junior in college. And, um, you know, at that point I had probably put on the freshman 15 and one summer I just worked towards losing it and I found running along the way. And I found myself running probably 45 miles a week and I was doing exclusively treadmill runs at that point. Um, and the my college football coach actually for the for the school that I went to, he was like, wow, you're a really good runner. Why don't you join track? You should really consider it. And um, at the time I just wasn't into racing. I just wanted to run because I enjoyed it. And then flash forward a few years, um, I met my now husband, but when we first started dating, he was um, competitively rowing and he was working out six days a week, three hours a day. And so I figured while he's doing that, I might as well do something active as well. So I jumped into a half marathon and then three or four months later, I did my first full and that was back in 2010. And how did you two end up training together? Um, it was two years ago. Yes, it was 2017 Boston. We were both fundraising for St. Jude and it was kind of like lovers. <laughs> Match made, <laughs> match made in heaven. Yeah. 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 The first run I remember was horrible weather, I think. Yeah. We were running along the Boston Harbor. Yeah. And it was like 20 degrees that day. And there was probably a group of 10 of us. And Heather and I were just perfectly paired together in terms of pace. And so we just ran with it. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> Good one. Andrew, this is you now. Uh, no, no, no. Read, read it again. Um, no, no. Oh well, shoot! You, you kind of mix those two. I have a question together. for Damn you. It. You both have history running Boston. Damn it, Eric! Erica, you just completed it a couple weeks ago. How was it? It was warm. Um, the the f maybe frustrating part about Boston is you never know what the weather can bring. Um, so all week we were told it was going to be like 40 and pouring rain, just like 2018, which I was actually excited for. And then as we got closer and closer, the weather got warmer and warmer and the clouds turned into full sun unexpectedly. What, what, you and I were talking in the lead up to this year's race and you were really excited about the weather predicted to be really bad. Um, why, why do you like bad weather? I don't know. There's something badass about it. Um, just getting to like put your head down and power through, and at the end, you feel just that much more accomplished. Okay. You sound, you sound like a true Bostonian now. Like you've really embraced the bad weather that Boston gets. How is it like around this outside of the weather? How is it around the city and and everything that goes on in the, in Boston? Because I've never been. They won't even let me in the city around the marathon. So what um, <laughs> what, what what do you like most about it? you start sure um so i just got back from my um last long run for my marathon i'm doing in ottawa in a couple weeks and there's just the the trail options here are awesome there's amazing parks um i did the emerald necklace today which goes down through brookline and to jp um there's just so many options for really beautiful runs um so like one of the best parts is um getting to explore the city and um on your runs so yeah i just like that running through boston you're never alone like where no matter where you are whether it's you know sidewalks in the city or on running paths on the river or in the emerald necklace you're always with someone and you feel that sense of community so it expands far beyond that one weekend of the year definitely boston. yeah de um boston's a very active city whether it be you know rowers on the river runners on the trails um biking Tons of cyclists. Yeah. So there's no shortage of athletes in the city. And I think that's actually something that's really unique. Um, a lot of people from college are pretty, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I don't want to say in awe, but you know, they, they, they might not consider running marathons. Um, I think it's just like, a, a different sort of feel out here, but a lot of the people I know, and maybe it's just the community that I've surrounded myself with, um, it's like kind of the norm to do distance running and endurance sports. Now, you were part of this year's race, which was a sprint to the finish for the men, separated by two seconds. 
it's not the only race that you've been a part of that's had some memorable endings. And you and I have, have joked about this before. Um, can you share with us just some of your other events that you've done and, and some of the kind of memorable finishes like with elite athletes that, that you've been a part of? Because you have a nice little, you had a nice little streak going there. Yeah. You well, there was Berlin last fall with the world records. That was pretty cool to hear on the course. Yeah, Berlin was exciting because it was probably 20 miles in and I heard the buzz in the crowd and people talking on the sidelines and just like chatter, world record broken, yeah. world record broken. And I had no idea what the time was, who ran it. And then like, as the miles passed, I quickly put together like what had just happened. I was I was wondering that if in these races you're aware of what's going on ahead, like if the buzz kind of comes back and you hear about it as you're running. Sometimes. I don't remember that for New York with Shalane's win, do you? No, I don't. Um, I saw that till after. Yeah, but Shalane's win was super incredible. Um, Absolutely. In the, oh gosh, what, 2017? Fall 2017. Yeah, the 2017 New York Marathon. Um, it wasn't until well after the race that I realized she won, and she did such a great job then. Um, and for me, I think that was probably my favorite marathon finish. So your streak then is you were New York with Shalane winning in 2017. You were Boston last year with Dez. And then Berlin Dez. last year with Eliud. Like, can you come join one of my races and just rub <laughs> some of that good luck off, please? Not to mention the, what, two-second difference in time in yeah. Boston? So like. <laughs> You run major marathons and something really cool happens every time. <laughs> we'll keep you updated for Chicago. Hopefully we get another good win. Yeah. If you can't tell, Adam's a bit uh, nerdy about elites. Um, yes. So, <laughs> uh, but let's, uh, let's get into why you're here. Um, well, you're here because you're runners. But you, you guys have a history of running for different causes you know you talked about running for saint jude a little bit ago how did you get started with like running for a cause what made you want to do that um i can take that yeah um so for me i i wanted to run the boston marathon and um i'm not quite fast enough for a bq oh well um so i started looking at different causes and i actually had a friend recommend saint jude um children's research hospital which it's just a fantastic charity. So, I mean, kind of first step is finding something that I think that you really believe in and really can advocate for. Um, and that was just like a really easy one. And that's what you've fundraised for the past four or five years. Yeah, the past four years, I've also fundraised for St. Jude. Um, the way I get my bib is a little different. I actually get my number through the, uh, the company that I work for since we helped the BAA planning the marathon. Um, and for years, we just got entries with no strings attached. Um, we didn't have to fundraise. We didn't have to qualify. And it felt a little gluttonous. So uh, the company that I work for, we decided to use our bibs for good. So we put a lot of thought and effort into selecting a charity. And similar to what Heather said, St. Jude just has such an amazing reputation that um, it felt like a natural fit. Oh, so your company can choose any charity and you're able to run for, or it doesn't have to be one of the Boston approved charity running groups, right? Um, it, it, we, we did pick one that was Boston approved. So um, we actually had connections via St. Jude and it just, you know, the stars aligned. And so that's what we rolled with. And um, that's for the foreseeable future who we're going to fundraise for just because, you know, they, they are in line with our values. Yeah. That's amazing. That's we had talked last week about Columbus and what they do with nationwide children's. And I just think it's amazing what all these races are able to do for these children's hospitals. Um, I don't know if this is a question on here. Can you talk a little bit about St. Jude and what they do? Sure. Um, so I haven't said this spiel in a while because this is two years ago when I fundraised, <laughs> but um, they're really amazing. So they, um, they provide treatment and they research different rare um, cancer, uh, types of cancer for kids and um, the children and their families don't pay a penny. So I've heard so many stories of people saying that, uh, you know, their kid got sick and um, it wasn't looking too good. They called St. Jude and right away they had them on a plane to Memphis. Um, and I, again, I can't remember the statistics off the top, the top of my head, but the, the rate of survival for children with cancer um, decreased 
or the rate of sarella increased significantly um, due to a lot of the research at that hospital. So um, I did have the chance to actually go visit the hospital in Memphis when I fundraised two years ago. And they just, they're wonderful, wonderful people. They do a really, really great job there. It's, um, it's a really great cause. Um, and adding to that St. Jude, another thing that makes them so great is that even when children go into remission, um, St. Jude offers continued care for them. So they do, they pay for annual checkups for them to go back to Memphis. And um, so it's not like a one and done. They really see treatment through until the very end. When you get into a race by uh, raising money through charity, what is, what is the process like? Like, are there minimums that you have to hit? How is it? track so that people so that you know they make sure that you get to those minimums how does all that work like if you don't hit a target are you not able to raise it depends on the charity i think some of them you have to fundraise um and hit half of your goal by like you know like four months prior to the race and if you don't then you can't race um other ones you just have to hit your minimum before the race happens for boston it was actually i had to finish my fundraising by mid-may so they had an actual, like a buffer month. Um, so basically for me, for St. Jude, I had to hit a minimum of $10,000, which felt a little crazy um, when I did it, when I first signed up for this. That's really crazy. Card and you say, if you don't hit this minimum, you're going to be charged $10,000, which uh, I lost a lot of sleep over that. But, um, and also a lot of it too, is <laughs> a lot of the fundraising happens much closer to the, um, the date of the race. There's a lot more hype then. So um, I think like, three weeks out from the marathon, I was still at $6,000. Um, but then I had a really successful event at my office and hit my goal. So and exceeded it. I ended up at 13,000. That's year. awesome. Yeah. What different events do you do? Like, can you share some of the events that you did to get from zero to $13,000? Yes. My favorite one that was, um, thanks to a colleague, Annie Yao. Thank you so much. Um, She's, she did this in her sorority in college. She, we, I, or I raffled up off the opportunity to pie a manager at my company. So I talked to eight upper, you know, upper management um, folks and asked them, hey, I'm fundraising for St. Jude. Would you be willing to take a pie to the face for this cause? Um, <laughs> they said yes, which is great. So I had this big event at my office and people dialed in uh, via video from all around the world. Um, I work at TripAdvisor, so we're a very global company, and hundreds of people attended, donating hundreds of dollars just to see one of these managers take a pie to the face. Um, the highest donation was $500 on that, Whoa. because I said if you donated $500, you automatically get a pie. You didn't have to be raffled out. Um, so, oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good <laughs> so idea. That was, was one person did that. Um, so it was great. It was really, really fun. Um, we had a blast and um, that raised itself like $3,000. Um, we might use that for the podcast. Yeah. Great idea. Who gets pied? You. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Drew. <laughs> you know where that was going. <laughs> when, you have a, when you have an organization like St. Jude, um, I, I think it's just awesome like what you guys are doing, but I, I don't see how people wouldn't want to donate to you know, uh, an organization like that with what they do. I mean, they've never sent out a single bill to a patient and that's just absolutely incredible. I mean, you get that at a normal hospital, you're talking extra mortgage payments and all of that. So it's just, it's amazing what you guys have done and how you've intermingled that with running. Um, Eric, are you still, that. Eric, are you still debating, um, auctioning off your place for an Airbnb next year for Boston? I am. So actually, Drew and I have started the application process for trying to fundraise for London 2020. 2020. Um, so we just filled out applications for that and we're waiting to hear back. Um, and so one of my ideas for fundraising is to um, to auction off my condo for the Boston Marathon next year. And so um, Boston happens the week before London. And so I would just try to stay with friends that weekend. And instead of having someone stay in a hotel, they could have a condo with a full kitchen and everything that they need. So if they want to make their own meals or they, you know, they want like a proper shower and bathroom and all that. Um, and I'm just right outside the city. It's like three train, train stops to where you need to get to hop the bus to Hopkinton. 
That sounds, I mean, it's, it sounds like a good idea. I remember when I thought I was going to get into this year's like looking around for places to stay and it's, it's a headache trying to find that from, from coming from out of town. Like it was a real headache trying to find someplace that was decently priced, that was somewhat decently close to the course. So that's a really good idea. I loved it when you shared that with me earlier. Hotels are already booking up. It's crazy. And hotel rooms, I mean, they're anywhere from like three to $400 a night. Which, yeah. You know, it can be cost prohibitive for lots of people. Yeah. Well, Adam, once you qualified this year, I've got a great condo. I know it's going up for auction if you're interested. Oh. <laughs> Understood. Um, so what's, what's next then for your running journeys, the two of you are going to be going on? Next is Chicago. We're, we're running Chicago in October. So is this going to be the fourth world marathon major for both of you? Yep. It's going to be number four. Um, Heather is fundraising again for a charity called Back on My Feet this time. And Back on My Feet is really awesome. She's done, you've done New York and now Chicago. Yeah. Right. Um, and they help people experiencing homelessness get back on their feet via running. Oh, that's really cool. So if that's four for you, then when are you looking to finish up the majors? Next year. <laughs> yeah, if all goes according to plan, we're shooting for London and Tokyo last. Um, as I mentioned, we apply to run for charity for London. Um, that's pretty much the only way that you can get in. Um, except via lottery, you can't qualify unless if you're a UK citizen. So, um, and you have like a 1% chance as a non-UK resident to get an entry via the lottery. So we're oh, wow. to get a charity spot and then for, um, for Tokyo, basically the same thing. What are, what are some of the challenges? You ran Berlin. What are some of the challenges of running, not just out of town, but out of country? Uh, lack of sleep and <laughs> um, yeah, yeah meal for, times changing. Yeah, for Berlin, I didn't sleep the night before. I barely slept because of the time change. Yeah, um, and some of the race logistics are a little bit different too. When you're like in the middle of the race, um, like the water stops were different than we were used to. Um, we basically okay. had to walk through every single water stop. We could not just run and keep going. And lack of porta potties. That oh, was yeah. another thing that we experienced. <laughs> well, they're mu they're much more they're much more proper. They're much more proper over there. That's probably why they uh, don't have as many porta potties. What's well, different with the water stops? Yeah, why do you have to walk? Is it because there's too many people, or is it they tell you you have to walk? No, no, you don't. It, it, okay, it's not like a rule that you have to walk. There's just so many people. Um, and they they weren't as speedy. And also the cups they use instead of being like the the paper cups that you can kind of pinch and drink water from. Um, they were like mini solo cups. And so they were much harder to drink out of and people would just throw their cups and then they would be stepped on and crunch. And so you were like running over a, like a moving layer of plastic. Oh, that's really weird. Yeah. Um, that's like one of the things that really stands out is just the sound of crunching during the race. <laughs> Heather, you, you posted. Say, oh, go ahead. After you. No, no, you continue because I'm changing topics. If you're, if you're. No, no, no. It's okay. It was about move. sightseeing because, like, do you stay longer or do you do you kind of try to get there earlier to sightsee or do you stay a little later or is that just not part of it? You're flying in, you're racing, and you're going home. Um, for me, I got there two days before and then stayed for a week after. Um, oh. with other parts of Europe. Um, walking around in Paris was really tough, but. There was peas and bread and wine, so <laughs> I was still I was pretty happy. All the proper recovery foods. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I did similar. Um, flew in two days before and then stayed a couple of weeks after, um, just so I could be mostly fresh and have my normal diet as much as possible leading up to the race. That's cool. Heather, you posted something interesting about a partnership with TripAdvisor. Can you... Uh... Can you let us into this and explain this to us? Sure. Um, I didn't quite hear the beginning of that question. But it's oh, it's okay. Right. No, you work for TripAdvisor, but then you posted something about a different partnership you have with them with involving your traveling and running marathons and all that. Can you expand um, on that? I don't know what I posted about it. They, they offer um, gift matching, which is nice. 
Um, so up to $5,000 a year, they, they match, which is really awesome. That's awesome. Um, I don't know what I posted. <laughs> Thomas okay. lurks on your profiles and then comes up with these questions. It's called show prep. Andrew. Like how you know that you're supposed to be the one asking a question and not the other person, Andrew. Um, what would you two tell someone who's considering running for a charity? Like what's a good way to get started? What are good tips for choosing a cause? I think first and foremost, you have to believe in the charity that you fundraise for. The more passionately you can speak about it, the more people are willing to donate. Um, if you can find someone, um, it, either if your company does matching or if you have a friend whose company does matching, that is a huge help and a huge relief. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree with both of those. Um, I'd say, so I did a couple fundraisers when I had to fundraise $10,000 and so, like the simplest ones were the ones that were the most successful. The ones that I was like, oh, I'm going to have this event at a running studio or, um, you know, I, I think keeping it simple can be a pretty good idea. Don't overcomplicate it for yourself. And um, I mean, give the people what they want. It's usually like beer and food um, and also educating people as well. I definitely had people that they thought that they were paying for my trip and for me to go to these places. Oh, interesting. Which, um, so definitely educate them, like all the money that you donate is going towards this cause and this is what this charity does. Yeah, I think the beer events are huge, um, especially if you can hold events on the weekend. Um, a lot of the events that I've done, they've been on like Tuesdays, Wednesdays. Um, and I think people are less likely to come out. But if you can really make it like a night of like, drinking and celebration, um, people are more likely to come. And I, you know, the breweries, they're great. A lot of breweries are local companies. Um, if you just talk to them and tell them what you're doing too, they will happily give you some sort of donation in addition to your friends who might donate. So corporate sponsorships are huge too. Um, I'd say don't be afraid to tell anyone and everyone that you're fundraising and I mean, just work it in any way you can. Um, I've heard you bring up um, beer nights a couple of times. So basically what you want to do is get your friends good and sauced. Yep. And then they'll start throwing money. That is that is the way to do it. Yes. All right. Noted. <laughs> uh, thank you both so much for joining us. You guys have been great. Uh, just some great stories about your races and some awesome tips on running for charity, which is, I, I know it's not something I've ever really known much about. So I really do appreciate it. We appreciate having you guys on. Um, if listeners want to follow Heather and Erica, you can find them at, uh, on Instagram, Erica, you're at girl and her palm. Yes. And Heather, yours is like Heather. It's, um, <laughs> it's, her, it's her name, but it's three A's, three T's and three R's. Is that how it is on your birth certificate? <laughs> it was it was funny. Thomas was asking me for your handles and I'm like having to squint looking at Instagram <laughs> figuring out how many of each letter is on there. Yeah, lots of pictures of traveling, dogs, and running. That's pretty much it. So, Sounds like so I recently started. got into traveling because my wife and I just went on a cruise and we just booked another one. Do you have any advice for people who want to travel? This is not run, not running related, just traveling. And, and Heather, you work for TripAdvisor, so you got to have all sorts of tips and stuff. Can you give me just some awesome travel advice? Sure. Um, well, you can go to TripAdvisor.com. <laughs> no. They so are not a sponsor of my podcast. I, I, I love <laughs> And I do love TripAdvisor. Um, we actually released a like a social feed, which not many people know about. So if you sign in there and start, you know, following different um, people that travel, you can get some really cool content on there and inspiration for trips. Um, I think besides that, I do read a lot of blogs and um, just trying to like, you know, I'm always looking for like the hidden places, so like uh, undiscovered places around the world. And also, I usually just start off by looking for cheap flights. Google Flights is pretty good for saying, I want to go um, leave from Boston for a week and this month, what's the cheapest flight? So if you're pretty open about where you want to go, that's a really good way to start too. Hmm. 
And the social feed, that's what you posted about. It was about the TripAdvisor social feed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, that was a while ago. Yeah, yeah, we, we used to just have, like, you have to search for a location and it'd say, here's your hotels, here's your restaurants. Um, now we have a social feed, so it's um, content on trying to inspire trips. That's really awesome. cool. Because I think one thing that a lot of people don't why a lot of people don't travel is they don't know what destinations to look for. And it is daunting. Um, I, I had recently come to the realization that, you know, if you want to travel and you want to do something, you just have to book the trip and that's it. It's that, it's that simple. You, you can always, Oh, well we'll keep looking. We don't have the money now. Yada, yada, yada. No, just book the freaking trip and find where you want to go. Yeah. Um, but that, that's really cool. Uh, what TripAdvisor is doing with that. So I might have to check that out because we want to, my son told us last night when we told him that we had booked another cruise, he's like, I want to see the world. The kid is six. So, <laughs> and he wants to see the world and he wants to go to New York. Those are the two things he wants to do. But hey, you know what? I'm cool with that. So, but thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, it's just, uh, it's been really fun talking to you guys. I, I think we, we like getting different running dynamics and, you know, learning about um, charity and, um, you know, different ways to, you know, use running for good, not just yourself and your own health, but, um, yeah, thank you guys very much. You guys are more than welcome to hang around with us or you can leave. It, it won't be awkward either way. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys. Are you guys hanging around? I need to go eat cause I'm starving. So I'm going to leave. Right. Well, <laughs> go, go, go eat. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, right, guys. So Take care. All right, and then there were three. That was good. That was, that was, that was really good. Uh, I, you we'll know, have, lots of travel we'll have, and good, positive running impact. A trip advisor well, is not a an advertiser, but if you want to advertise with us, trip advisor, let us know. Yes, yes we're, we're here. We're open to it. Maybe we should tag them and yes, everything. Hashtag ad. <laughs> we'll have to have them back on when they finish up their majors. For sure. Yeah. So who would you raise money for, Adam? If hey, you I, were was, to do this? I was thinking about this. Um because my first thought was uh who I fundraised for for my birthday, Nature Conservancy, just because I am such a big advocate for conservation. And um, you know, I was out running in the Cago Valley yesterday, and it just every time I'm in the Cago Valley, I just I love just being out in nature, and I think we need to take care of it more. Um, but I've also I also think Heather brought up a really good point that it's really easy to or it's easier to um, advocate for something when you know it's like as you said, who doesn't want to donate to St. Jude when everything, you know, is taken care of medically. And, um, there are a lot of really good medical causes out there. So I'd probably be torn between raising money for some sort of medical research and, and for nature conservancy. Um, how about you guys? Definitely, you know, children's hospital to some, I mean, St. Jude would be something that I would, I would definitely consider raising money for, you know, I think it comes to that or if it comes to, uh, you know, um, families who struggle to put food on the table for their kids as well. Um, working with food banks and stuff like that. We have one through work, um, that we do a, uh, we do like a 30 or yeah, you know, like a 40 hour fast at work, um, every year and raise money that way, uh, for them, for families who just don't know where their next meal is going to come from. I think th those are the ways that, you know, I, I want to make an impact on the world in those respects. Um, all for the nature part of it too, that you're talking about. I think just any of that type of stuff that, you know, you're really able to leave a mark on the world that you're in. Uh, it, yeah. I don't think you can go wrong. Absolutely. Raising money. Thomas, you've run for a cause before, haven't you? Yeah, that's, uh, that's actually how I got started in running. Well, I was in the military and I ran there, but I never thought of doing a, a half marathon or a marathon. I watched the Cleveland marathon as a kid but I, I never thought I would actually run in Cleveland. I never thought I'd do one of these. I had no idea what went into it, but I started running for a uh, faith-based charity called Active Water, which was a small, um, it's a small nonprofit where they gave water and hygiene resources out to countries in Africa, countries in Asia. And they also 
paired that with sharing the gospel and bringing people, you know, into spiritual, emotional, and um, physical well-being. And then over the years, they got absorbed into LifeWater International, and I've been running. I've been running for them. I haven't done anything for two years. Actually, when I shaved the beard off was last time I did something with them. But if I were to um, choose a different charity, not as a replacement, because that's still something where I have long-term goals where LifeWater is going to be the, the source for it, and they're going to be the ones getting the money from it. But something like Nationwide Children's, having kids, like I am very fortunate to have three healthy kids. Um, so I, I'd want to do something that gives back to kids who are not healthy because I understand being a parent is hard enough as it is, but when your child is sick and you're powerless to it, you can't control anything with it. That's something where I would, I would not have any problems raising money for that. That would be awesome. What was harder, the race or shaving your beard into that incredible mustache for money for charity? I would probably say the marathon was more difficult <laughs> than shaving off, the, shaving off the beard. No, um, I just started this puppy, the beard that I have right now. You can't see it if you're listening to the audio version, but um, I just started this one back in the fall. So I don't know. They had some good ideas. Calling local breweries and doing something like that. Yeah. I, I had some idea, like the, the shaving of the beard was an entire, that was my entire campaign. And when they said $10,000, I was like, yeah. man. Yeah, I mean, these St. Jude has to, they're providing a service and they need to get a certain amount of money to keep that going. So I can understand where they have minimums there. I've been fortunate enough when I've run that they haven't had minimums, but okay. hearing 10,000, man, yeah, I, I would lose sleep too if I had to pay $10,000 yeah. at the end of that. Damn. It's awesome though. I mean, I would, say, I would just cancel my credit card if I didn't get there in time. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, yeah, let hey, the city, kids come on, know. cancel this now. <sighs> All for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! That's I, as good as money, sir. Those are <laughs> IOUs. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Please help us. Um, no, I'm. I did the Cleveland half marathon. That's how I, was, I raised money for that. I, I didn't raise money every year because um, I've done it for the half marathon. I did it for the Chicago marathon. I did it for then the Canton marathon. And I think the Akron marathon too, because that one I was leading a team of runners who were all raising money for the same cause, but I have not done it in a couple of years. My big goal, which I haven't shared before, um, is going to be probably starting in 2021 because I'm finishing up school and I won't be done until next year because I'm an idiot and um, I would like to start training for a full Ironman. That's been the plan the entire time. I was going to do it before I turned 30, but um, that has come and passed for a few years now. Um, having another kid and being in school and kind of losing focus on running and physical activity for a while, um, but slowly getting back into it, hopefully by the end of 2021 or 2022, I can get that full under my belt. That's another conversation. We're not talking about triathlons. Nope. Let's talk about current events. We have a couple current events today. Um, some pretty good ones that, Andrew, this was on the outline that I sent prior to um, prior to the episode today. This but, one? Yeah, that one. <laughs> so our first one is, Adam alluded to a little bit earlier, where a runner is being asked to take drugs that enhances, the, or to not enhance, but to change their race performance and they're denying it because it's not what you think you'd think that trying to get drugs out of the sport is what they're going for but there is a runner named castor semenya you might have seen um this in the running news if you pay attention but she runs shorter distances she's world record holder and um the shorter track distances and she's become kind of a rock star in her country and for those who follow the sport well, now the International Track Track and Field Association has required her to take drugs to lower her testosterone levels because they say that they're too high for running in the women's races and they're making her do it or else she can't run in the short distances. So anything up to a mile, she cannot run at it anymore because of her testosterone levels. Their argument, her argument and her lawyer's argument is that they're having, they're making her take pills that really don't have a lot of 
foundation in the sport and it could cause long-term effects just so she could run in these races. And it seems like there's a lot of back and forth and this has become a kind of an international running incident where people are on both sides and there's a lot of arguing going around about it. So for, for Castor and her, and her camp, is that a fair argument or do you think that there's something more going on here with them requiring her to do this? I've done a bit of reading on this over the last couple of days because it wasn't something that I was really um, aware of until the ruling came down a few days ago. And, uh, you know, being interested, in, especially because we talked about doping last week, um, I got interested in terms you know, about how, you know, what this case is and how the ruling came about. And so um, Semenya has, uh, it's, it's called DSD, which is a uh, disorder of sex developments. And, and basically what it is is that, you know, we all know male and female is as males have an XY chromosome and females have two X chromosomes. There are um, some disorders, though, where you can have an XY female, a double X male um, situations where um, where hormones that would differentiate sexes don't develop naturally. And, and Castor has that. And there was actually, I found a case, uh, there was a Spanish hurdler named Maria Jose Martinez Patino back in the 90s who was an XY female who had been banned from competing. And she was able to prove that even though she had increased testosterone in her body, that the condition she had made her insensitive to it. And so it didn't, uh, it didn't help performance. The, the basic idea here is that testosterone is, is said to be linked to improved performance. And because Castor has more in her body, that she essentially has a, a performance advantage here. And the reason testosterone is being used for differentiating sexes is because, um, because as, I, as I said with DSD, there aren't necessarily always clear delineating lines between male and female. Um, because I didn't know much about this, I, I did a little bit of reading um, from Steve Magnus, who's on Twitter, at Steve Magnus. He's a, an exercise scientist. He, he's a coach down at Houston. And he was just basically talking about you know his perspective on it. And, and the conclusion that he came to, and I'll be interested to see what, what you guys have to say, his conclusion was that he's not really sure that you can have a definitive conclusion on what is right here. But he did bring up that there are instances where testosterone levels would be decreased in athletes that might otherwise be cheating. Um, he brought up that testosterone levels are, uh, they increase in people that dope, but that to avoid positive doping um, testing, that athletes will stop taking steroids leading up to a competition and that their, their testosterone levels actually will read lower than they would typically be. Um, and so for that reason, he said, the thing people have to realize is that a higher testosterone level doesn't necessarily represent, like, it's not necessarily a fair comparison to other competitors because dopers might have lower testosterone levels artificially because of the way they dope. Right. And so, and so his thing was just basically like, I don't know what the right call is, but using testosterone might not be the best way to measure. I just, I, I struggle with this because I can see where... You know, I mean, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I, you know, but I under I have basic understanding that yes, testosterone will give you it, a higher testosterone level does give you an advantage. But the there's the part of me too. It's like she's not doing anything unnatural, right? Like, how can you punish her for that? I, last week, I I was talking about Ryan Hall, and you know, he ha he has a. Uh, he has a disorder where his testosterone levels are extremely low, which caused some of the underperformance that he had so much in his career. He refused, he was allowed to, but he refused to take uh, testosterone boosters. Uh, he could have been exempt uh, some of the uh, protocol around that due to his medical condition, uh, but he refused to take it and he ended his running career. Uh, I, I think you can't, I don't believe that you should be asking somebody who's performed at an extremely high level and has done everything naturally to do something unnatural. Like it, that, that's the only way I can think about it is she's not cheating. 
She's not doing anything unnatural. And now you're asking her to do something unnatural. And uh, Adam, you alluded to that, or maybe it was Thomas alluded to it, that it could have negative effects on her in the future if she takes the testosterone decreasing medicine. So I don't, I don't like it. I, I don't like the ruling. I think it sucks. Um, you know, we, Steve Magnus, I read some of the tweets that he was, uh, you know, talking about and somebody had, you know, compared, uh, Michael Phelps who has this ridiculous body. That's just gave him every advantage. He was just born yeah. with it. Um, now Steve Magnus turned back, turned that back around and kind of and disagreed with it because we don't use height as a marker and we don't use body size as a marker in, um, in, you know, the use of performance enhancing drugs. But I think it's valid to some extent because neither Michael Phelps um, nor Caster are using performance enhancing drugs. It's just what their bodies have given them. And, you know, we didn't disqualify Michael Phelps because his hands are like eight times the size of a regular man's mm -hmm. hand. You know, like we, we didn't do that. And it's the same for Kat. Like she's blessed with a body that produces more testosterone and allows her to perform better. It's counterintuitive to the entire sport whenever you're the governing body and you tell people all the time that, okay, you cannot use these drugs. You cannot use drugs and we're going to take you down for enhancing your performance and then having a ruling come out and saying, no, but we're going to make you take these drugs because your performance right. is too good compared to the other people. Right. And to Andrew's point, like Shaquille O'Neal in his prime, I'm sorry, Shaq, you're too tall and too big. You're not allowed to dominate the league. So we're going to take something. We're going to make you take these pills to make you less aggressive and less, you know, strong around the rim. That, that That's what I feel like it's comparing it to is you're yeah. the best. No one's close. Oh, we found something that might be the reason. So you can't run anymore because you're not taking these drugs. Although we don't want anybody else taking drugs. Well, it was, <laughs> it was it was something that Magnus brought up in in talking about testosterone. He said, you know, it, it's hard because you have to have you have to try to find some way to differentiate, like say, male and female competitors. And I think he brought up the point that even with her levels being where they're at, those levels would still put her in a situation where like something like five thousand men would still be faster than her. Like, so there's a reason we differentiate between men and women when we compete. But then he added, like, you know, there isn't just one explanation for why performance is better. Like, performance is an incredibly complex combination of a lot of things going well, training and physique and all those things. And, you know, it's like, yeah, Michael Phelps was built perfectly for a swimmer with a longer body and shorter legs. But there's a lot of people that are born with really good anatomy for swimming. And so there's other things that made him better. And, right. you know, it, it's, you can't just say it's this one thing that did it. So it, it seems like taking this, this, you've got this arbitrary marker and you've got somebody who's just head and shoulders better than her competitors. And the IF is going, well, we're going to choose to to focus on that one thing. And I, I think, I think you guys are right in saying that it's, it's pretty counterintuitive to say, we don't want you, we don't want people to be taking drugs, but we're going to force you to take drugs because you just right. happen to have a better measure than everybody else. Like, if she's or you doing can't it run, clean. or you can't race. Yeah. Or Your you livelihood is over, so you're yes. done. Meh. Meh. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I call I, it I love, I love the point you just made, Adam, that, you know, it's, yeah. How many other people, I mean, I'm sure this is an uncommon condition, um, but how many other women have this same condition, and how many of them are at the top of their sport? Right. Like, it takes, you know, it isn't just that. I mean, there's hours and hours and hours and hours of work. How yeah. many people have a LeBron James type physique, but can't get it toned and chiseled and get the strength he has and become what he's become on the basketball court? I mean, the dude is in the gym every freaking day yeah. perfecting his craft. And mm -hmm. he, it's not like he's like, oh, I'm, you know, 6'8", 260 and can probably run like a 4340 and, and – you know, just this freak of an athlete, I can just take it off and I don't have to perfect what I do. No, dude still freaking works. Cause if he doesn't, he's Anthony Bennett. <laughs> uh, yeah. So she's, she's not sitting around watching Netflix. She's, she's training. She's still working. If she didn't yeah. train, she wouldn't be breaking world records or right. being the best in her field. And she's been doing this for years. It's not like 
This isn't a new thing. Yeah. But I digress. Let's bring it back to the States, shall we, for our second occurring event. And this is all the way down in Cincinnati, about a few hours south of me here in Columbus. But You know, some people call Cincinnati the Berlin of Ohio. I could see that. I could see. Although Columbus does have a larger German population, they have a German village. So I'd probably say Columbus is the Berlin, but whatever. Uh, current event number two there is a man in Cincinnati who tomorrow he's going to run the half marathon, which is usually not um, a big thing, not news setting, but thousands of people run him. He is running the half marathon after receiving a new heart, which is pretty amazing and then you read the story and i won't lie it got a little uh got a little dusty in the room when i was reading this article because he got the heart from a man who had killed himself he the man battled with depression and he killed himself and the organs the family decided to donate the organs however you know however they can however they could take from the, his body and this gentleman got the man's heart and then he eventually connected with the donor family, wrote them a letter. It was an anonymous letter that was sent to the man. His name is uh, Mr. Bishop. He, he's the one who got the heart. And they eventually connected. Now they're close to each other. He just ran a nine-mile race in preparation for the Flying Pig half. He gave the race medal to the family because they lived a couple states away. They came out and watched him run. And now he says that he's running these races not just for himself but for that family. When you read this story, what, what thoughts did you gentlemen have reading through it? I think it's incredible. I think uh, – and I, I, what really jumped out to me was he got the heart back in August. Mm -hmm. I mean from a medical standpoint, I mean that yeah. – I, I didn't know there could be a turnaround that quick. You know, to get away from the, the amazing sentimental part of it where he connects with the family just to think like – you know, sometimes we think like, I think I got it tough, you know, having a couple weeks where I, since getting back from vacation where I've struggled to get back into it or Adam, you and your calf, what, eight months ago, this dude had got a new heart. Yeah. And he's put in the training and ran a nine mile race and is now going to be running a uh, half tomorrow on a difficult course. And he has a good training group too. He, he had medical attention. He asked them their opinion on him running it and he worked with a medically based training group and so he's had a lot of support so th this is something too where you mentioned he just got a heart transplant he's not doing it on his own either so right. that's smart he has somebody checking on him okay you're good you can do this yeah what do you think adam you know it's funny my uh my mom works for she just started a new job working for a, um, a company that deals with hospice so like end of life care and um as part of her training uh, she had to go through this exercise. It was essentially trying to get you into like kind of the mindset of somebody who's, you know, heading towards the end of their life. And the training was essentially like you had to write down things that were really near and dear to you. And as you went through this process, you basically would pick out one of those things. And like every month you were losing one of them because what ends up happening, you know, with hospice is you, you start losing things. You're not, you're not at home anymore. Maybe, uh, you know, people stop coming around to visit you. Um, and it, it led me, it just kind of led me to think about how as a society, we're not really good at dealing with death. We're, we're just not very good at handling it. And it had me thinking how unfortunate that is because, you know, there's, there's so many connections that you make with people over life. And to me, it seems like the end of life should be a way to kind of celebrate those things and kind of like try to pass on some of those things before you go. And so I just, I've had that in my mind the last couple of weeks. And then you sent this story and it's like, this is a story where, you know, somebody's physically getting something from somebody else, but then making that connection with the people that are still around. And it's just, it's a really cool way to see someone's life be able to be, you know, in some way be able to be carried on through someone else, you know, whether it's through lessons that they taught in this case by giving up organs, you know, physically letting somebody else live. And I just think it's a cool way to, you know, see how we can, how we connect and keep, you know, how we connect with people, even with people that maybe we haven't met. And so I think it's just a really cool story how uh, not just that this guy's running, but how he's connected with the family and, and that connection between uh, the recipient and the, the family is there. I, it just, I really, like you said, it got a little dusty. And I think <laughs> just because this idea has been on my mind about making those connections, even after you're gone, um, I think it's just a really cool story. 
Well, and for that family, I mean, I, I can't imagine losing yeah. my son. And uh, especially to suicide. I mean, I, I do have family who um, who has committed suicide. And it's, it's so painful and difficult. And uh, I, I can't imagine that happening to my kid. And I, and I pray to God I never find out. Um, but to be able to have that experience and that connection with somebody else. And, and I don't want to say see good that came out of it because the bottom line is there's not good that comes out of, um, of suicide. Um, but to see that, you know, there, there was a positive impact that your son still made even without being here yeah. and changing somebody's life and, you know, continuing, um, somebody's life and continuing to have an impact on this world that that is a positive um but i think you know just talking about suicide real quick if you ever have thoughts of being alone or anything like that um you're not you're not you're worth it and uh you know reach out to somebody close to you if you ever feel that you're worthless because you're not <laughs> we're all we're all valuable so I, we couldn't, I don't, I think we would be remiss if we, you know, didn't bring that up talking about suicide for a quick second. No, thank, I completely agree. No arguments over here. Uh, and good luck to those who are actually, who are running the flying pig and also Pittsburgh's tomorrow. Pittsburgh, so. Yeah. Yep. Good luck to those. You're probably listening to this after the race happened, but congratulations. Or during. If you're listening after. Or, okay. Um, or during. But, so, somebody's uh, like, "Oh, thank God! Right. I'm no spoilers, please." Over the next 24 <laughs> hours, I want to listen to these guys during my half. Speaking of spoilers, today's Star Wars Day. Oh God, you know I'm gonna fail this so bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, oh, this will be fun. Okay, this... I have, I have some Star Wars questions. Adam, you're answering first. Every confidence time, confidence level has gone through the roof. We're going to, um, we're actually going to do this back and forth. So each of you has four questions to answer, and these aren't just movie questions; these are like behind the scenes questions. Oh God! And I don't know. I don't know if I want to provide a handicap for this one, something to help Andrew out. Uh, I think I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay, Adam, your your questions will not be multiple choice. That's fine. Andrew, your questions will be multiple choice. Okay. Is that fair? I mean, it's not. No, I don't know. You know what? Give Adam multiple choice. No, it's fine. I don't we, need it. No, we just were talking about um, Castor Semenya and <laughs> on the same oh, level. Oh my <laughs> God. You know, I, I don't feel uh... that we should be on different playing fields. Do not make him take the testosterone lowering medicine or this version of it. Okay. Then Adam, you're going first. Everyone gets multiple choice. I need to move okay. away from this as quick as possible. Yes. Okay. Adam. Thomas. Which Star Wars movie was filmed entirely in the studio? A. Attack of the Clones. B. Revenge of the Sith. C. Return of the Jedi. Or D. Star Wars. Um, well, I know Attack of the Clones. They filmed some in Italy. Star Wars was in Tunisia. It's got to be Revenge of the Sith. You got it. Yeah, that was it. Revenge of the Sith. Good job. One Yay. to zero. But Andrew, you have not had a chance yet. So one to. It's like it's a virtual tie. It's like baseball innings. Right, right. We're in the we're in the middle of the. Well, there's only eight. Never mind, Andrew. Which of the three main heroes, Luke, Leia, or Han Solo, in the first Star Wars trilogy refused to sign a three-year deal? Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, or they all signed three movie deals? Harrison Ford. Bing, bing, bing. One to one. Good job. You got it. You got it. Okay. That was Question an educated for you. guess. No, good job. You know, you did it. The Star Wars holiday special 
marked the appearance of which Star Wars character? Was it Lando Calrissian, Boba Fett, Jabba the Hutt, or Jar Jar Binks? Was it a first? It not wasn't a first appearance. It was just an appearance. No, the first appearance of which Star Wars character? Uh, said Lando, Boba, Jar Jar. Who was the fourth one? Jabba. Um, and I don't forget when that came out. I'm gonna say Boba Fett. I'm wrong. What'd you say? I, I said Boba Fett. Oh, you're right. Good job. Oh, so you, you didn't react. I'm like, shh. Because we didn't I, hear you. Nothing, no sound okay. came through. Okay. That's good. All right, Andrew. Okay. What color is Mace Windu's lightsaber? He played, uh, Samuel L. Jackson played him in episodes one through three. Was it blue, purple, green, or black? Black, motherfucker. Um, no, no, Damn it was it. not. It was, it was purple. It was purple. So two to one, two to one. And we're back to Adam. What actor pulled out of episode three, Revenge of the Sith, when he discovered that non-union actors were being used in the film? Was it Mel Gibson, George Clooney, Gary Oldman, or Gary Coleman? It was Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. That is yeah. correct. He pulled out of it because of the uh, non-union actors. He's a he's a man of principle. We'll give him that. So three to one. You can still come back, Andrew, technically. No, I can't. You can still tie it if, if Adam misses one and you get these right. Who is the only non-Jedi in the original Star Wars trilogy to use a lightsaber? R2-D2, Princess Leia, Chewbacca, rest in peace. Or Han Solo. Han Solo. You, you yeah. got it. All Good right. Job. Yes. That was not an educated guess. That was just throwing shit against the wall. <laughs> no, well, it stuck. Good job. All right. Okay. Adam, this one's for you. In uh in episode six, I can't I'm not good at Roman numerals. Return of the Jedi. The growls and sounds of the Rancor in Jabba's palace were actually made by what animal? A wolverine, a pigeon, a dachshund. I don't know if I said that right. The dog. Dachshund? Yeah, thanks. I don't know. <laughs> My parents have two of them. And, or a panther. I didn't hear the fourth one. Panther. I, I think it was a pigeon. No, your parents oh, have two of them. Ooh, it was the Dachshunds. Oh man! So it's three, uh, three to two. Andrew can tie it up. Andrew, approximately how many languages can C three PO speak? Six billion, six million, six trillion, or six thousand? <clears throat> Six million. Whoa. It's tied. Three to <laughs> yes. three. A tie stumped I do have a, um, a, a, a tiebreaker. Oh, tie You're both going to get the same question, and you can both have the opportunity to answer. I will not give the answer until after everyone has guessed. The animators who brought the AT-AT Imperial Walkers to life in episode, um, episode five, five, The Empire Strikes Back, Base their movements on what kind of animal? Was it a stork, an elephant, a camel, or a giraffe? Andrew, you can Andrew, go first. I was like, Andrew's just going to guess the same thing I guess. So Andrew goes first. A camel. It was an elephant. Oh, Adam. Adam pulled it off here. It was an elephant. So good job, Adam. You win. Andrew, you did great. Thank you. You did really. You only missed one. Good job. And that yeah, was because that was because you fell for the Samuel Jackson. Uh, yeah, almost pulled out the win. Yeah, you could have won. You should have had a black one. If if the question was which color should it have been, that wasn't the question though. So. <clears throat> 
So that's all I got for something else. Good job. May the fourth be with you. It sounds like you're saying it with a lisp. May the fourth be with you. <laughs> if you have a lisp, we are a lisp friendly um, yes. podcast. So we are. Don't oh, let yeah, Thomas not... just get you I'm down. I'm simply pointing out an obvious, an obvious trait. That's all. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening today. Um, I had a lot of fun. We only went a few minutes over, which is pretty yeah. good considering our interview went a little longer. And yeah. I, we had a lot of fun um, bringing them on. So don't forget to follow um, Heather. Um, that's Heather with three A's, three T's, three R's, and Erica at Girl and Her Palm on Instagram. And that's P O M, like Pomeranian, I assume. Yes. Uh, see, I can pronounce small dogs. Uh, and Pomeranian is easier to pronounce than Dachshund. Whenever you see the spelling of Dachshund, it's yeah. like they completely took the H out of it. Well, it's they messed the whole thing up, but you sh everybody knows how to say it except you. Um, well, we are getting closer and closer to the Cleveland Marathon. We're only two weeks out. So next week, we are going to be talking once again all about Cleveland. Uh, we're going to go over the course, things to do in Cleveland, uh, just how to have a great race weekend. The following week, we're going to be in Cleveland. It's going to be really exciting. So yes. stay tuned for details on that. Uh, recent, or yesterday or the day before, uh, we had posted a uh, picture of a review um, from our iTunes. Um, and I tell you what, Bruce McIntosh, we appreciate you yes. for letting us know that you find us to be a fun and entertaining show. We, we do enjoy making it, and we seem to enjoy making it, even if no one is listening. <laughs> that could not be more accurate oh, on a yes. number of levels. Uh, yes. that's, the, that's the best review we've had. So, no offense to the other reviewers. But right. that yeah. one, that one, if we were giving out awards, you'd get one, Bruce. Yes. Right. Um, so Your award is being the only person listening to the podcast. Right. How about Ever that? since Jeff stopped. Um <sighs> We can't rig these. We can't rig these contests, Jeff. Yeah, we're sorry. We had yeah. to be fair. Yeah, if you would have won fair and square, you would have gotten the entry. But you yeah. just won an entry like two days before because Eric swooped in and took our only listener. You know what's going to be funny is when he like comes out of nowhere and wins the Cleveland Marathon in two weeks, and he's getting interviewed, and he's like, you know what? I was just really motivated to come out here and stick it to Rust Belt running. They should have given <laughs> me the free entry. <laughs> Oh, they help me get. They help me get across the finish line. <laughs> so, uh, all that to say, uh, join Bruce McIntosh in leaving us a review. There are a few other ones that are very good, and we appreciate it all. But that helps people see us, um, allows more people to discover us, and uh, we we want to you know do what we can to impact the running community. Um, so, if our pod isn't on your favorite podcast app please let us know and we'll do everything we can to get it there. Uh, well, Thomas will do everything he can to get yes. it there because he does all the legwork. Yes. So, all right, Thomas, Adam, we've done 20 of these. Yes. Many more to come. Many more to come and many more we've already done and we just don't count them. So. <laughs> also true. <laughs> all right. Well, you guys have a great weekend. I will see y'all midweek. And then we'll see you again next Saturday. <laughs> Midweek for an episode that doesn't count. Why are you saluting? Just, it was a salutation. Okay. Well, all right. Well, here's my salutation. Enjoy your miles, everybody.